You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 28 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we're coming to you from the beautiful John Germain Memorial Library in Sag Harbor, New York. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, slash Apple Podcasts, uh, Android, email, and Google Play. And links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website at thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at, at thelibrarypros, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Did you say slash? You did. You said iTunes did. slash Google Play. Well, no. Apple you said the word po- no, slash iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. But slash is really just for you. Anyway, no. all right, that's fine. They're in the process of, of changing over to Apple Podcasts, that's why. I, I see. All right, so today joining us is Eric Cohen. He's the coordinator of technology and media at the John Germain Memorial Library in Sag Harbor. Yes, beautiful thank, Sag Harbor. Thank you. Good to be here. Nice okay. to have you. Yeah. So we are speaking, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. I just messed up, so there you go. <laughs> so we're going to talk to Eric about what it took to transform this building from 1910 to the 21st century, because it's a beautiful building. Uh, but first we want to talk about Eric, uh, get a little history about John Germain Library, too. So tell us how you got started in the library field. We just started talking about that before we had the mics up. Right. Well, this was an actual accident that I'm in the library field at all. Um, I was in educational technology for most of my career and worked with colleges and high schools and elementary schools to uh, decide what technology they needed and to help them get it set up. And the company I worked for was sold, and I got laid off. So as happens a lot when, when companies get sold. So um, in the week that I got laid off, I looked in the local newspaper, and there was an ad for a technology coordinator at the local library. So I thought to myself, well, this will be a nice temporary thing to do till I find something else. So I applied for the job, and three months went by, and I called the library. I said, what's going on? And they said, well, we like you a lot, but you're so overqualified. We don't think you'll stay. <laughs> so the director at the time said to me, um, if you promise to stay six months, we'll hire you. Hmm. So I said, okay, I'll stay six months. And 13 years later, here I am. Awesome. You're up, Bob. My turn? It's your turn. Right. I should say, it's been a pleasure to know, to know Eric since I think you, since you started, probably. Yeah. It's probably right. been that long, yeah. 2003. We've worked together in so many different avenues. It's really cool. So um, so when did you start at John Germain? I guess you kind of told us, right? Yeah, so 2003. Okay. So 13 years. Yeah. That's job security. That's not so bad. <laughs> That's not so bad at all. <laughs> yeah. And the county is better for it, i got to be honest. So. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I discovered uh, a world I didn't know existed. You know, yeah. librarians are so service-oriented that they don't... Um, my old job was constantly thinking about profits and profit margins and new clients and increasing sales. And in this job, none of that. Right. And, I mean, we do try to get the public to uh, use the library facilities, but it's not for a selfish motivation. Right. It's a public service motivation, and mm-hmm. I, I really like that. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the history of uh, John Germain and the building itself. You know, who was uh, Mr. Germain, and when did the library open his doors for the first time? Uh, John Germain, well, Mr. Germain was the grandfather of uh, Margaret Olivia Slocum Sage, who donated all the money to build the original library here in Sag Harbor. And she was the wife of Russell Sage, who was one of the early, one of the robber barons in the early part of the 20th century, the early 1900s. Uh, I call him a robber baron, but you know, in the same category as Carnegie and Vanderbilt and all of those people. And he was a Wall Street tycoon in his day and amassed a huge fortune. He was one of the wealthiest people in the country. And then, as we all do, he died. And his wife got all the money. <laughs> <laughs> which she proceeded to give away. To spend and spend. Yeah, so she lived, but for good causes. She lived across the street from the library in what is now the Sig Harbor Whaling Museum. We're actually looking at it right now. Yeah, Yeah. it's a beautiful building. Beautiful white building. Nice view. 
and uh, she donated the money to buy the land and to uh, hire the architects and pay for the construction of this building and spared no expense. I don't actually know the figure, but in 1910 it was a lot of money. And uh, she's also donated the high school, the Pearson High School, to Sag Harbor. And she also donated our big park, the Meshishamuit Park. And then, uh, feeling that this community wasn't as grateful as they should be, she left town. (laughs) 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 Moved to Connecticut and proceeded to found Russell Sage College and a bunch of other worthy causes. So she ended up giving all his money away, which is great. I wonder if she would have tried to make a college out here. Uh, probably had had she felt that the people were, I guess, um, grateful enough. But for some reason, she felt. I actually know the reason that she felt slighted, which was that in the place where she built Masha Shemuet Park, uh, that was formerly a racetrack, hmm. and she bought the land and had the racetrack torn down to create a public park. But the people of the community were upset. They preferred the racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, she didn't feel that she was getting uh, her just thanks and left, which, you know, understandable under the circumstances. And the library opened in 1910, to answer your other question. That really is, we had a tour of it before. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's a gorgeous building now. It was, when I got hired in 2003, same building, but not so gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) It's been fully restored to uh, how it looked back in the day. So you want to expand the history lesson? Sure. And we'll talk about the, maybe the village of Sag Harbor. And sure. Chris and I know it's a quaint East End village north of the Hamptons uh, on Long Island's beautiful South Fork. So it must be a great place to live and work. So tell us a little bit about that. It uh, doesn't get much better, I don't think. You know, I, I haven't lived that many places. I'm a native New Yorker, born in the Bronx, and I've lived... From the from age of five, I've lived on Long Island for the rest of my life, except for one year I lived upstate New York, but never outside the state. And so I don't know what it's like to live a lot of other places. But that said, Sag Harbor is pretty damn beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the problem is now, of course, that it's very expensive to live here. Used to, when we moved here in 1979, we rented a house for... $350 a month wow. for a whole house. Wow. <laughs> you can't get a parking spot. For that, I know. Right? And then, <laughs> then uh, in 1988, we built a house here, but now I could not afford to do that. Yeah. It's just not possible any longer. So that's the downside. The upside is it's gorgeous. It's, uh, you, can't, you just couldn't ask for a nicer environment or a nicer community. The people here are lovely, really. Uh, it's been a great pleasure for me to live here and work here. Well, it's funny that you bring up the population, because the next thing we wanted to ask you about Sag Harbor is that, you know, population seems to grow in the summertime. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's being a vacation destination in the summer um, for people who come from Connecticut and, and Manhattan, New York City. Um, tell us what the difference in population is in the village in the summer, you know, versus, you know, the other months. Well, you know, the rest of the year versus the three months in the summertime. Well, I'm going to be anecdotal because I don't know the exact figures, but the year-round library population is 6,600 people. That's how many cardholders we have. Uh, I would say that the population of the village is probably grows about five times its normal size. I think we, or more. I think that we generally see about 50,000 people here in the summertime. Wow. That's, and that's my guess. I'm not quoting real figures, but it's so busy. You have no idea. If you haven't been here in the summer, it's just crazy. These roads just get jam-packed with cars. It's really and that's people crazy. just trying to avoid taking uh, Sunrise or Montauk, right? Um, no, this is the destination. That's true. It is yeah. a destination, too. This is yeah. the end of the line. You know, you go down to the end of this road, Main Street here, you're in the water. So that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go anywhere from here. <laughs> so um, now they come here for the destination. There's uh, an awful lot to do. We're known for our, our good restaurants. We have a theater, a Bay Street Theater, which is a professional actors' equity level theater. Um, and all kinds of lovely um, activities go on in the summer. So it's a very popular place. Ready? 
Out yeah, east sure. libraries. Go for it. So libraries that are out east, or we call them you know, east end libraries, yeah. uh, in many respects, they're not dissimilar to rural libraries with respect to size and population served. So the summer is kind of a different environment because of the influx of residents. Like you said, almost 50,000 people come out um, and tourists. So John Germain still has that small town feel to it. And I guess that's the appeal of those summer folks coming out, right? Oh, yeah. And our waterfront. You know, we have um, a really um, popular and large marina. uh, And one of the things that's unique about our library, well, maybe not unique, but it's interesting about our library, is that we give summer library cards to the crews from the yachts that moor in our marina. That's cool. So, yeah, it's a special category of card that we give. Because sometimes they're here all summer, sometimes they're here a month. Normally, we don't give a card unless somebody's going to be here a month. But if they're going to, you know, if they're coming on a yacht and they want to use the library, we we make an exception. They can use Overdrive on the yacht. (laughs) That's true. That's great. That's awesome. (laughs) And they can stream Hoopla. That's a plug. That's a a plug, yeah. 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 All right. Ellen Druda. Oh, there you go. Five bucks. Ellen Druda. Every time we mention Ellen's name, we get five bucks. Oh, really? Ellen so Druda. do I get it, too? Yeah. Ellen Druda. That comes to the library. If pros. we say Ellen Druda enough library times. Library pros. That's right. It's a donation to the library pros. That's right. Yeah. Helps to finance our new microphone. For the parking ticket. For the parking ticket that you're going to get today, right? <laughs> exactly. If they haven't towed it yet. Yeah. Love it. So tell us about some of the challenges um, dealing with that seasonal patron base. When they come in, are they meaner than the, the local... Mm. Geez, you know, you're asking me to step on my uh, sort, <laughs> you know, insult the people who pay the bills. That's that's. No, always we're only the, kidding. No, I know. It's always the dilemma out here. Actually, not just the library, but in the business community and everywhere else, the people do tend to be more demanding, as wealthy people often do, and people who are on vacation. You know, you're on vacation. You want to have that special time. You right. know, and you don't want anything to interfere with your enjoyment. And as a vacation community in the summer, we get a lot of people who are ready to, you know, just blow up on a, a mm-hmm. second's notice if something doesn't go their way. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a challenge. But, you know, and it's easy to speak ill of them. I, I've seen bumper stickers out here that say, summer people, summer not. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of year-round residents feel that way, but we also understand that that's how, that's what pays the bills. Right. You know, they, that sure. keeps our taxes down because of the big estates and whatnot. So uh, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. But, yeah, we do see a lot of New York attitude here in the summer. But not enough, not, it's getting better, actually. I would say years ago it was worse. Recent years it hasn't been so bad. So the rest of well, we have a big following in Japan, so I'm wondering if they're going to buy those bumper stickers now. <laughs> I know, right? Some people, some are not. That'd be great. Some people, some are not. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is interesting to know, too, that, you know, more of us, us up-islanders, I guess you call us, who yeah. live in central Suffolk County, western Suffolk County, Nassau County are coming out, too. Um, I know that uh, a really good friend of mine rents a house up by the water, um, and she loves it out here. Uh, so it is, it's almost like an alternative destination to going to the Southampton, East Hampton. Used to be. We used to call Sag Harbor the Unhampton. That was, that was <laughs> what everybody called it when I first came here because it was very different. And about, mm, I'd say, seven or eight years ago, it caught on. Suddenly everybody said, oh, Sag Harbor's the place to be. Yeah. So now we're just basically another Hampton. But we don't have the ocean, so in that sense, we're alternative. We have bay beaches, not ocean beaches. That's That's not such a bad thing. No, it's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, this is a beautiful place. I mean, we're just sitting here, and, you know, the the views from the new building, which we'll talk a little bit about the the construction of the the addition, um, but the views are just gorgeous of all the old architecture, the old homes. It has a real country feel in fact we said before i was speaking to one of our colleagues we just had a meeting here before we did uh we did yeah we had the tiff meeting here and uh she felt like she was in saratoga new york like some or in old school brooklyn or it has that old upstate kind of feel to it that really rural feel it must be a great place to to you know put roots down the community is very aware of it's of the historic um resources that it has and they try hard to preserve as much as possible so there's a, in, in, this is actually a, a, a National Historic District. It has that official designation. And as such, 
uh, when people want to make changes to the buildings that fall within that historic category, they really they have to go before the architectural review board and get permission to make changes, which is not always forthcoming. So uh, they, the the community tries hard to retain that historic flavor. Hmm. That's really awesome. Uh, so you know. We're really glad that you were able to share all this info uh, about Sag Harbor for those people that don't know about it. Um, and we, uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about taking a building from 1910 and, and bringing it into the 21st century. So we'll be back in just a moment. And we're back with <clears throat> at the John Germain Memorial Library with Eric Cohen, the coordinator of technology and media. Now that's a title, huh? <laughs> yeah. My boss, Kathy Creeden, who's a um, wonderful director, made it up for me. We, uh, I, I don't remember what the whole discussion was because it was a long time ago, but she said to me, how would you like to be the coordinator of technology and media? I said, "Cool, let's do it." Does that mean you have to order? Does that mean you have to order the CDs too? Uh, no, actually, it doesn't mean anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the freaking coordinator of technology. <laughs> the media is just an extra to make me feel good. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Neat. So, I guess Eric, take us back to the beginning stages of all this. Before there was talk of expanding a building built in 1910, what were the technology struggles with the infrastructure of the building? Well, aside from the water pouring in from leaks on the ceiling and That's constantly having to mop it up before it got near the computers, that which, a problem. which were sitting on the floor. <laughs> 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 aside from that, not much. <laughs> uh, well, we had you know limited uh, electricity because actually electricity didn't exist when this in this building when it was first opened. Hmm. The lamps and everything were gas lamps, wow. and uh, so everything was added on and uh, in a limited fashion. So it was always hard if you wanted to create a public computer area, you kind of had to do it from scratch and figure out how are we going to get power to mm. it and how are we going to get network cables to it. And, and because the building is made of brick and plaster and um, ceramic tile, which I'll talk about later. Um, all the tough stuff to get through. Yes, yeah. all tough stuff to get through. Yeah. Or if, is, is there even a place to get through? Right. And where does you it know? go? <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of cables were sort of strung from the ceiling, you know, tied onto pipes with wire ties. And, yeah. um, you know, it was uh, – and we had a very limited space. The building – the original building was 7,500 square feet. So when you take out for books and circ desks and other things like that, it doesn't a, leave yeah. a lot of room for technology. Right. So those were some of the challenges. Yeah. So I'm assuming, you know, the motivation for the expansion was because of spatial constraints and everything you just said, right? And, and not to mention the water. Yeah. The building was in serious disrepair. Um, it wasn't in danger of falling down structurally. It wasn't going to collapse on us. We didn't think, at any rate. <laughs> Remind me to tell you the story about the dome, though, because that was in danger of collapsing, which we didn't know. But um, what was the question again? <laughs> oh, the motivation. The motivation. Yeah, yeah, the motivation. Yeah, yeah. Well, we needed more space, for sure, and we needed a better working environment. So those were the motivations. Yeah. Cool. Sorry. I was I was being uh, distracted by the the easel that's in front of the door. Uh-huh. It says today's menu, and it's got all the things that they're doing at the library today. So it's kind of like an outdoor, that's, almost like a bistro invitation, but it shows yeah. you what's going on at the library. Right. And we have our bistro tables right yeah. out there. So that's right. Yeah, people could come in and sit down and order food. See, that's the look and feel that you miss in other places. Yeah, it's, a, it's a small touches, the small little things. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. So, 
I'm asking you this question, but I know the answer because I used to come here and yeah. deliver books back in the day. Uh, so what was the original IT infrastructure, and did you have space for servers above the water? And, uh, <laughs> and did you have a department? And tell us kind of like how the beginnings began. Well, I was hired to replace a part-time uh, technology coordinator. And the environment was, I would say, unique. Uh, I was, That's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> I, the technology office was stuck in the uh, tiny little corner of the basement. And there was a rolling rack with uh, two servers on it. One was our internet uh, web server yeah. and one was the um, domain server although I'm not sure we had a domain at that time in any case I don't remember that but there was another server and um, there were two switches which were not were unmanaged 24 port switches which were under my desk on the floor <laughs> don't, don't kick a cable out well that's what happened the first <clears throat> yeah. day I came to work I sat down at the desk and I suddenly knocked the network yeah. out of commission because I had kicked the uh, switch and knocked the cable out oh, that's funny so yeah it was there was not much there was very little it was uh, all the computers were built by the previous uh, technology corner she was fond of building her own computers which I was yeah. too it yeah. was a thing at that time that's back when you could do it yeah. Yeah. now mm -hmm. it's not cost effective at all no no it was cost effective then, and that yeah. was the prime reason. Plus, it was fun. Yeah. I mean, I always got a kick out of building. Yeah. A you can build them so much cheaper than you could buy them back then. Yep. Now yep. it's not the case. What was that Computer Shopper magazine? Well, yeah. I mean, you could go into Labelle's, right? Labelle's was kind of big yeah. on Long Island. You could go in there and buy a processor, buy a motherboard, power supply, a case. You know, for for a couple hundred bucks, you had some some good stuff. And they used to have these computer shows. Right. I don't know if you yep. remember. They called them shows, but yeah. really they were big flea markets. Yeah. And everybody. Lake Grove. Every, yeah, yeah. Lake Grove Lake was Grove. the biggest one. Yeah. Right. Yep. Everybody who had a mom and pop computer store yeah. around would come with a, set up a table. And yep. It was like Sports it, Plus, right? Yeah. And you could go buy you could buy one CD or you could buy a thousand. And it was like almost the same. You could buy one motherboard or you could you could buy a thousand. You know, and yeah. so you'd go there and load up on CD covers and yeah. blank discs and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very economical. Before and again, Amazon, right? again, of course, I've forgotten the question. Before <laughs> <addressing>. <laughs> the beginning but, structure infrastructure. Yeah, oh yeah, the infrastructure. So yeah. uh, that. And, you know, there were some, it was a rudimentary network. It really wasn't much. So, um, you know, one of the first things I did was, uh, you had mentioned the, everything being on the floor, was I had a, uh, a rack affixed to the wall, mm. one of those uh, data racks that you can swing out right. to get to the back of the, yeah. of the things. And I moved the switches up into the rack. And yeah. then I got rid of the web server, because, I mean, what the heck did we need a web server right. for? Yeah. And, uh, then I built a domain, and you know, so in, over time we professionalized the infrastructure yeah. here. But um, in the beginning, it was just sort of a patch together. Yeah. If, if it, you know, if you needed a computer, plug it into the switch, and we're done. <laughs> yeah. See, Eric was around for all the great stuff, like yeah. the, the yeah. different colored books for Suffolk Web. Oh, remember God, all those? I right? remember so, those. Right? So oh. all the different colored books for Suffolk Web. Oh, right? yeah. It was around for the 384K frame relay lines from oh. system that we used to run. Yes. Right? And then oh. you went to Fraction. So you had Fractional. Fractional then you went T1. To, then you went to T1. Then yeah. you had, you know, it's not like you couldn't call Cablevision and say, hey, give me a 100 meg connection for $45 a month. It was the only connection you guys had back then was yeah. a, probably a 384 line yeah. back to system, and that was it. I was so happy when they when we finally got rid of that Verizon router with the fractional yeah. T1. Oh, I was like, God, I remember that. Yes. Too. Yep, yep. <laughs> but it, but you know what? It got you through for so long. Yeah. That's so funny. So by the time you got rid of it, you were like, well, it's great. So it was just a different just a different world, you know. Yeah, it was totally different. And then and that, it seems like the dark ages now, right? It wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> I mean, I've only, as I said, been working here 13 years. So in 13 years. The world has changed. Yeah. The world of technology has changed. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. I know less now than I knew then. You know, because there's the, so much more to know. That's, that's the problem. Right. Yeah. That's the problem. Also, I'm getting old. And folks, <laughs> folks out here, they they really relied on Suffolk Web, right? Especially the summer homes. Mm -hmm. They'd come back. They'd come into the library. They'd get a CD or they'd get a book. They'd go home. They'd dial up their their two eight six you know sixteen hundred number and and they'd go out. You know, they'd have the internet at their house. And the yeah. library provided that to so many local residents then. I had completely yeah. forgotten about that. Yeah. Amazing. Right? So, you know, thousands of residents uh, got that access through this library. And that's, uh, that's something that, you know, changed over the years. You know, now I guess they have cable and all this other stuff. But back then, that was their only connection to the internet was the service the library gave them. Well, it's kind of interesting how we're often the first provider of technologies to our communities. The same thing happened with e-readers. Right. I mean, yeah. we... we 
We have e-readers that we loan, but nobody borrows them anymore because they've all got their own e-readers. Right, but they now. did. But in yeah. the day, That's right. you know, that was yeah. a great service that we provided. Yeah. So it must have been exciting when the project began. Um, tell us some of the, the struggles that come with doing an edition like this, because I think you mentioned earlier when you, we were in our meeting, it was a mo- it's a modern edition onto a classic building. Right. And there was something about it, I, I forget, oh, radiant yeah. or... Um, the idea behind this is, and um, you'll see it in other libraries as well. One of the biggest uh, examples m- many people will be familiar with is the Boston Public Library. They have uh, the, one of the most gorgeous historic buildings in the country, and they've added twice new wings, but they don't try to build a replica of the gorgeous historic building because you can't. It just looks silly. You know, it looks like Disneyland. You know, you've had, <laughs> you've created something fake, and everybody knows it's fake. So you just have to look at it. So instead of doing that, architects try to convince communities, and they were successful here, that a better approach is to build something that doesn't compete with the historic building, but lets the historic building shine. So um, that's what we've done here, is we've built a, a wraparound wing that wraps around the back of the library that's a stone and glass. It's very modern. You know, you can't mistake that it's modern, but it reflects, all the glass reflects the old building, and this kind of recedes into the background as much as, uh, as it possibly could. So it keeps the uh, focus on the historic building and doesn't try to compete with it at all, and just, uh, but is also in its own way very attractive. So we think it was wildly successful. Most of the community agrees. Every once in a while, someone comes in and says, what an ugly modern building. Why did you do that? But you know, by and large, the community has embraced the look. It, it was a struggle. People didn't understand the concept at first. But over time, they've come to see that it really works. So I guess um, some of the tough questions coming up are during the construction, how did you keep the library open? So did it stay in place here? Did you move to a temporary facility? Totally moved. Moved totally everything moved. lock, stock, and barrel. Wow. And that was, that was an undertaking. Two-thirds of our collection went into storage. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we rented a uh, – we were very lucky in that there just happened to be a fairly large space uh, available that used to be a, a gym. Hmm. Uh, it was a physical fitness center, and it was had been vacant for a while. And uh, one of our staff uh, suggested that that might be a great place to move the library. And it's right in the heart of downtown Sag Harbor, Perfect. so yeah. right across the street from the post office. So it's a great location with water views. Wow, <laughs> really nice. We should have built there. It's an annex, and so it was uh, a lot smaller, uh, but it was very successful. We managed to bring over what was important to the community. Hmm. And uh, we, we had a little children's room. We had a public computer area. We had uh, you know, plenty of shell, not plenty of space for books, but enough space that we kept what was important to the community available. And we even had uh, a tiny little program room. Hmm. So uh, we were there for, um, mm, was it six years? Something, f- over five years. Wow. That was unexpected. We thought we were going to be there too but we'll talk about that more, too. <laughs> yeah, so we moved everything out. And they had, we had to because they basically, in order to restore the old building, to the plan was to restore it to the way it looked in 1910 as much as possible and to keep everything historically accurate. And in order to do that, we had to vacate. There was no way we could stay in during that process. Yeah. So tell us about what the biggest IT infrastructure challenge was in the renovation. I mean, you basically went from, like you said before, zip-tying lines to pipes mm-hmm. to redesigning the entire building infrastructure-wise with, with regard to IT. What was that like? That must have been a Herculean under, undertaking. The biggest challenge was my ignorance. <laughs> because basically, uh, we didn't talk about this, but I am a one-person IT department here. So uh, if it was going to get done, I had to do it. I mean, I didn't physically install all of the infrastructure, but I had to plan it. And there's a lot that I had never done before. You know, phone systems, security systems. Yeah. 
Uh, we installed um, a uh, Emerson Liebert UPS that keeps most of our uh, IT equipment functioning in, in, in the case of a blackout. Wow. So um, I'm trying to think what else there was. Well, you know, it, it was it, everything that we had, I had to plan from scratch. And not having done that before, it was a real challenge. And of course, I made some mistakes. And there were some things that you'll see up in the... You were up. You weren't up in the server room, but you were. You'll see. I have all these cables hanging down from the ceiling that were supposed to be on a ladder, <laughs> but I forgot to order the ladder. <laughs> so, so we just did without. Um, the ladder's there now. It came late, but it, it just it came too late. It's not installed. It's sitting in the back there. Uh, so things like that. Um, um, one of the biggest challenges was when to do things, you know, getting the order yeah. of things correct and figuring out who would do them. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, the biggest issue I had, the single biggest issue I had was with the data wiring. Um, I wanted, right from the beginning, I wanted one company to do it all. Mm -hmm. I wanted one company to do all. And the... Um, electrician that we hired to do the electrical work said, I can do data wiring. And I said, good, as long as you do it all, including termination. Right, which is the part they don't know how to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, okay, right. we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, but they're a subcontractor, and somehow when the general contractor wrote the contract, he left out termination. Yeah, the most important it part. <laughs> may have, it may have been on purpose. I suspect it was. Yeah. Not 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 a nefarious purpose. I think just that the the electrician really didn't want to do it. It's the toughest part. Yeah. 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 And so we get to this point where all the wiring's pulled and we're ready to terminate everything. And the electrician says, "Who me? It's not in my contract. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing termination." Right. And then I was in that awful position where I have to quick run out and find someone else yeah. to do it and. Of course, everyone I talked to said, well, we'll do it, but we can't guarantee it because right. we didn't pull the wires. Right, yeah. So that was, I would say of everything that happened, that was the most, um, the biggest learning curve for me. Yeah. That even though I knew I wanted one company to do it, I still couldn't get it done that way. Right, yeah. Yes. It's interesting. Um, yeah. there more, I, I, ask more questions. I'll try to think of more. Yeah, so we'll, we'll roll right into what kind of advice would you give a library who is considering taking on an undertaking like this? I would say that if you haven't done it before, find someone who has and sit with them at least for, you know, not maybe necessary. It may not be necessary to hire someone as a consultant, but right. at least sit with someone and have them point out all of the things that you need to right. consider. Uh, another good example was that UPS I mentioned, yeah. the Emerson Liebert UPS. Um, seems like a simple thing. Everyone's got UPSs, right. but this was a UPS that was going to support computers throughout the building, right. not just one computer that it was attached to. And so it turned out that the best way to do that in our environment was to uh, put in a separate subpanel right. just to manage the things that were connected. So that became an add-on to the project, right, which yeah. was quite expensive and right. nobody had thought about before. Had I had the opportunity to sit with someone who had done one of these before, I would have known that. Yeah. And it would have been built into the original costs, not done as an add-on. Right. So my advice is find someone who's been through it and sit with them. Yeah. One, well, actually, I did do that a little bit. And uh, I, uh, Rusty from Brentwood, yeah. he's been through a number of renovations. And one of the things he said to me is, wherever they're going to put a computer, make sure they put a power outlet. It's like two different worlds. When you run an electrical outlet, electricians just look to put electrical. So they do conduit and, yeah. and the cement and the whole thing. But they never think about data. And the data guys don't think about plugs yeah. for electric. So right. two different worlds. And right. the IT guy like yourself has to put that together right. and kind of interpret what you're going to need. Yeah, and I, I had many interesting conversations with our electrician who was a wonder. The guy who actually did the work was a wonderful guy, my favorite guy on the whole job. Yeah. It was just a pleasure to deal with. And he kept wanting to overkill everything. I would say, he would say, so how many drops do we need in this room? And I'd say, we need four drops in this room. He'd say, let's do six. Right. <laughs> and let me, how many outlets do you need? I, I just need a duplex. He said, let me put a quad in here. <laughs> and, and more often than not, he was right. That's funny. Yeah. That is so, funny. I don't know if you're hearing this, but I'm hearing if you're planning one of these undertakings, just call Eric. 
He'll know the questions you don't know. Eric Cohen, Cohen Consulting. Eric Cohen Consulting. That's my, EC. And that's EC. my next job. That's it. Here you go. So uh, out of out with the old and in with the new, tell us about what your IT infrastructure looks like now. You know, don't be afraid to get really like detailing and geeky with servers and, and all that other stuff. Tell us, tell us what you I'm built. Not sure, I'm not sure I can get really geeky. I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, one of the things I didn't say, I told you about how I got this job, but I came from sales into tech. <laughs> so, Shh, don't say anything. <laughs> Nobody will so, know. So I knew some tech, but I, a lot of what I learned, I've learned on the job. So I'm not as geeky as, say, Bob or some other, uh, maybe you, some other Not people. as much as Bob. We, yeah. call that, we call that trial by fire. Yes. That's how I learned, too. Exactly. So it's exactly yeah. the... Yeah. Right. So we have uh, two networks now, one, uh, two Windows networks, Windows Server. One's Windows Server 2008, one's Windows Server 2012. Uh, one, uh, one's for the staff, one's for the public. Uh, we use... Um, the only option we have for uh, Internet is uh, Optimum, which is cable vision, former cable vision. I don't think they call it that anymore. Um, so we have a 100 megabit service. Um, we use uh, Windows domains, so I have two different Windows domains running. We use the uh, GB2500 router slash firewall slash filter that's right. provided by SCLS, which is great. That yeah. saves me a lot of aggravation. Because yeah. when I don't know how to do something, I can call Lou and they say, Lou, Lou, please, yeah. would you do this for me? You open this port, close <laughs> yeah. that, and they're very quick to respond. Yeah, yeah Lou's great. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, let's see, what else do we have? What if we get money? Lou's like Ellen. If we mention Lou, five Ooh. bucks. Should, should it be that <laughs> way? Absolutely. Yeah. Send donations to SCLS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, any money that gets sent to Lou, I feel it's worth it. Absolutely. Uh, he's been such a huge help long over time. the years. Yep. Long time. Long yep. time. And um, so we have a Meraki uh, Wi-Fi system, mm -hmm. 19 um, access points throughout the wow, building. Really? Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah, we really went for heavy coverage. You know, one of the, that was something we didn't talk about in terms of challenges, which, oh, yeah, I really should have mentioned as a big oversight, is the... I, did the a, Penetration? A te, no, the attempt to future-proof the library. Ooh. <laughs> really, really hard. And one of the things that happened is we designed a plan uh, at the beginning, and by the end, what we ended up with looked pretty much nothing like what we... Mm designed in the beginning because technology kept changing. It was changing so fast we kept saying, well, we don't need that many public computers. Because let's put in more Wi-Fi, right. you know, because mm -hmm. people are coming with their laptops now and people are using their phones now. And why do we need all these public computers? So we cut down the number of public computers, moved them to a different place, added more Wi-Fi um, capabilities to yeah. the building. And uh, so, and I'm... Um, hugely happy with the uh, Meraki Wi-Fi system. Yeah. It has worked, excuse me, sorry about the banging, worked flawlessly from the day we put it yeah, in. Yeah, they work and, great. Yeah, and it uh, gives us lots of statistics, which my director loves. Yeah. Anything you want to know about our Wi-Fi usage, I can Make it find Make a pie out. chart, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, plug for Meraki, hopefully they'll send five bucks. Five bucks, not, yeah. not bad. <laughs> it's a new thing, five It's bucks. the five buck plan. <laughs> it's the five dollar plan, yeah. yeah. Library Pro is $5. So it must have been a pain in the old building with Wi-Fi with, with penetrating through cement and, and all it, that other stuff. Well, too. we didn't even try. I mean, you know, what we had basically was I had a Linksys router on each floor of the building. And oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the blue and gray ones? Yeah. That we used the, to program, yeah. the DDWRT ones? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, wow. Yeah. All the history's coming out now. Yeah. yeah. You're not kidding. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there was... Well, you know, there was a couple of things. One, uh, one luxury about building this building and designing the infrastructure is we've had money. In the past, if I had said to my director, I want to put in a Meraki Wi-Fi system in, in the old building, she would have said, how much is it going to cost? And I would have said, and she would have laughed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So when you have, um, did I say already what it costs to build this? Uh, no, no, not total. No. About $15 million okay. to, to do the renovation, the expansion, and fill the library with the stuff that we've added since then. So when you have the luxury of that kind of budget, right. you can actually think about putting in a Meraki Wi-Fi system in an Emerson Liebert building-wide UPS yeah. and, and a nice short telephone system. And um, we have a you know, security system with cameras and, and nice. an NVR to record everything. Yeah. So we have a lot of things we just didn't have before. I mean, you know, I felt great. Uh, by the way, 
we were the first, and you may dispute this, but I know it to be true. We were the first library in Suffolk County to offer Wi-Fi to the public in our building. Way back when. Yep. Wow. And that was one Linksys router. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody stood around it because it penetrated a whole <laughs> maybe fire, yeah. five feet. Well, you know, the, you've seen the room with the rotunda. That's mm -hmm. where we put it. So it, it, cut, it was easy to cover that whole room. Yeah. So it was great. The Wi-Fi room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was, um, yeah. that was a, a, but future-proofing is what I was talking about. And that's really hard. To this day, I don't know that we've succeeded because right. things change so quickly that you, things you thought were current or things you thought would last for five years or yeah. something, you know, suddenly, and I, I go back to the e-readers. Bought a whole bunch of e-readers, circulated right. them for a while. Now they sit in a cabinet. Yeah, and it's like we thought this is so cutting yep, edge. That's right. <laughs> and you know what? It, it was, but it just became so available. Yeah. So people bought them. You know, right? So so not cutting edge. But it's funny. It doubles every six months. So yeah. in, you know what you think is a year is really two years worth of technology development and advancement. So over five years, you're ten years are behind. So yeah. it's 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 tough to to do that. Right. Um, so um, let me think back to if there's any other parts of our little infrastructure here I haven't mentioned. Um, I I don't think so. I'm are you doing outdoor Wi-Fi? Yeah. Right. You can yeah. see right there out the window. There's a Meraki uh, outdoor access point with the oh, antennas cool. underneath the little awning thing there. Oh, yeah. 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 So it covers this side of the building. It does not go. Does not wrap around. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, but this whole courtyard is has really great Wi-Fi. That's great. And you, it's on all the time, right? No, always. Right. You know, so somebody can come here when you're closed and kind yes. of hang out in the courtyard and use it. Yeah. And people do, and they come and drink beer, and we get annoyed because they leave the beer cans in <laughs> <laughs> Public service announcement, don't leave the beer cans. Don't leave the beer yeah. cans. But we got you on Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean, we got you on security camera. Yeah, on the security camera. So, so but I guess before we ask you what's next at the John Jones we, we have to talk about the rotunda. The rotunda, I was just going to say that. Yeah. We want to hear all about it. Because I'm going to actually go up and take pictures yeah, of it, it was so I can put it on right? the site, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, right, right, the dome. The, the dome, dome and, and the original period so, furniture and so the director's and, office. Yeah, and, well, let's start with the dome because I don't want to forget that. that we had some challenges in, in building this building. And one of the big challenges, there were two big ones. One was that the sand soil under the building was not as stable as the engineers first thought. So they had to redesign the footings wow. for the building. They had to actually... We had to actually have custom made these large screw footings that they, I forget, uh, piles, piles yeah. that they screwed into the ground to uh, support the weight of the building. So that held us up about, I don't know, six months, nine months, something wow. like that. But the other big challenge was when I, I mentioned how they were gutting the old building in order to restore it. And one of the things they did was to take all the copper off the dome. It's a copper clad dome. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they had we brought in somebody else to to recreate that exact same look in new copper. But when they pulled the copper off the dome, they found something they didn't know was going to be there, which is uh, they should have known, or maybe they knew but didn't think to check it out. But every dome of that size has what's called a retaining ring around the base of the dome. Mm. It keeps pressure on the dome so that it doesn't implode, it doesn't wow. collapse. And this retaining ring was made of iron, and it had corroded mm. over the hundred years that it had been up there. That's scary. Could you imagine? Yeah. And basically, we were just lucky that the dome did not fall down wow. because the ring was not providing the support it was supposed to. So what they had to do was install a temporary wooden ring around the dome so they could remove the old ring and replace it with a new metal one. Wow. And during that process, they installed um, the same devices they used to detect earthquakes. I forget what they're called. Seismometers. In the yeah. dome, so that we would know if anything was shifting up there. And everybody, not me, but my, my, the director and the architect and the construction manager all had alarms in their houses. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. If those seismographs went off, they would know in the middle of the night or wow. any time. Yeah, that's was, incredible. That that's, that's really yeah. neat. <laughs> that's that probably held us up about nine, ten months. So that's why this was a 
five-plus-year building project, six-year wow. building project, yeah. uh, for the reasons like that. We kept, we kept finding things we just didn't know were going to be there. Yeah. But it's a 100-year-old building, so. Um, okay, so other things about the dome. The dome was designed by a guy named uh, Guastavino. That was his last name. I can't remember his first name. Who's quite famous. He was a Spaniard who uh, worked in this country. He had the Guastavino Fireproof Vault Company, hmm. and he was uh, world-renowned as a dome builder in his day. Um, and he built domes in uh, the Cathedral of St. John the Divine on the Upper West Side of New York in the Biltmore, um, not, is it Biltmore? Yeah, Biltmore Estate down in North Carolina in the Oyster Bar in Grand Central Station. You'll see that he has, they have domes, tile ceilings. He did those um, all over the world. Very famous guy. And he had developed this technique when we were talking about the difficulty of running wiring in this yeah. building. He had, his technique was to use ceramic tiles to create the dome. And so they were like... Um, um, what am I trying to say? The cinder blocks, mm. kind of, in that they're hollow inside. So it's a ceramic tile that's like a rectangle with a hollow inside, and they shape them and build. And so this whole building, including all of the floors uh, in the old building, are made from this ceramic tile. It's, it's very strong, but you can't drill through it. Can you pass wire through the holes? <laughs> <laughs> you can drill a few holes here and there, but if you drill too many holes, the whole structure will collapse. Wow. So that was another big challenge in the renovation. They had to be very selective where they would run hmm. wiring because they couldn't drill too many holes. So that was, that was a big deal. But the, the rotunda is gorgeous. Um, I mean, it is worth a trip to the library just to come and sit in the rotunda. We use it exclusively as a quiet study area. We don't allow uh, groups to work together in there. We don't allow eating or drinking. It's just for quiet study, and um, it's really beautiful. Occasionally, we'll turn on the fireplace. There's a gas fireplace in there, um, and the skylight is great, and we light up the skylight at night, so it's a lovely place to, to be at night as well. Is that lead crystal? Um, I don't know the answer to that. It, it's a, it's original. Well, mm -hmm. It's original to its period. Probably is that. Yeah, it's stained glass. Yeah. The only thing that's been replaced is the leading between the glass. So we we took the glass out, cleaned it, and had somebody de design new leading to hold it together again because that was getting corroded as well. <laughs> but the glass is all original. Did you want to tell the story about the crack? Oh, the crack. The crack. Yeah. I found that fascinating. <laughs> crack in what? In the, in the skylight? No, in no, the, in the floor. In the floor. So in the uh, entryway, when you come in on the main street entrance, which was formerly the main entrance to the library, uh, there's an, a nice uh, hallway. Like a, there's a little vestibule, and then you come into like a big lobby. And that's where we used to actually have our children's circ desk. But now it's back to being just a lobby, and there's a couple of tables and chairs for relaxing. And it's got a beautiful terrazzo floor. So we, as part of the restoration, we had the terrazzo floor refinished. And a local uh, foundation uh, called the Sag Harbor Partnership uh, raised money to pay for the refinishing of the terrazzo floor. And when the company came in to refinish, they saw this big crack in the floor, which had been there for, well, since 1938. And they said, do you want this repaired? And the librarian said, no, 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 that's a historic document. Because, historic crack. <laughs> yeah, because what happened was there used to be two trees out in front of the library, very big trees. And in the hurricane of 1938, which is very famous in Sag Harbor because that same hurricane also knocked the steeple off of the first Presbyterian church, which is called the Old Whalers Church. It's a big landmark here in Sag Harbor. The steeple got knocked down, those two trees got knocked down, and when the trees fell, the roots, which were going under the building, cracked the terrazzo floor. And it had stayed cracked since 1938. So the director said, no, 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 don't fill the crack. That's historic. It's, it, it's a reminder of the damage that happened in the hurricane of 1938. And she was telling this story at a public event. And there was an artist named Eric Fischel in the, who was there at the event, and he said, you know, Kathy, I know someone, an artist who works in bronze, and I bet she would be 
it would be great if she could fill that crack with bronze, and then it would really be there permanently, but be enhanced and be something that people would notice even more. And he offered to pay for the work. So, and that's what we now have. We now have this beautiful bronze crack running through the terrazzo oh, floor. Huh? It's a great yeah. story. Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, part of the history of Sag Harbor. Wow. You want to talk about the director's office, which, <laughs> which kind of surprised me. Right, right off that lobby is the traditional director's office. The, the, it always has been since 1910, and it has no door, and it never has had a door. Um, and we were going to leave it that way, uh, except for the fact that we can't get any work. The, the director has a hard time getting any work done because people who come in the front door see her sitting there and think like she's a reference librarian or whatever, and they just walk right into her office and start asking her questions. Which, and Kathy is very public service minded, but she has work to do. So we've been trying to find someone who can, it's, the entrance is an archway, a big archway. And we've been trying to find someone who can build a door that would fill the archway, you know, with lights on the side and whatnot, uh, and look as if it was part of the original building, right. in the same style as the other doors in that area. And uh, we found people who could do the do build the door but every time they come out to look at the building, they say, mm, no, I don't want to install that. <laughs> because it's all, the archway is all done in this very ornate plaster work that's true to its period. And they say, well, you know, if I damage the plaster, I'm screwed, and I don't, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So we have no door. We think we may have found someone who's willing to wow. tackle the challenge, but... <sighs> That remains to be seen. That's painful. It is. <laughs> Who gets to take the Dremel to the old... Uh, exactly. Uh -huh. Lots of small pilot halls. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's a challenge. One of the challenges of being in a historic uh, site, you know, and this building itself is on the register of, National Register of Historic Places. So we really do have to be very careful about any changes yeah. that we make. So in, in the Future Proof Library, what's next for John Germain? Yeah, what's next? Hmm, good question. Um, one of the things that we're doing, and I don't know if this actually qualifies as future-proof, but you know about this because you and Bob, you and I have talked about it over the last few years, is we're finally ready to launch an online streaming service mm. for music, uh, but we've expanded the idea beyond music. So we have some po um, not podcasts, uh, oral histories that we've collected from people in Sag Harbor. And we're thinking about doing some self-published literature. So we've contracted with this company called Odillo, which is sort of like Overdrive. Um, but they have a, a secondary service, and that's the only part we bought. So we don't, we don't do e-books through Odillo, but they have a secondary service where you can upload your own content. And so we're working with Odillo to create a streaming music service for our local music collection. That's cool. Yeah, and we're going to, uh, we are working on an agreement that we can offer to local musicians to um, maybe offer them a small honorarium for their music and then stream it for either indefinitely or for a set period of time, whatever suits their interests best. It's complicated. It's much, you know, we came up with this idea, and Bob and I have talked about it many times. It seemed fairly simple and straightforward, but <laughs> it, <never> is. <laughs> it, it is not straightforward at all. But ideally, uh, our focus at John Germain is moving towards being more of a resource for our community. So we want to have oral histories. We want to have books that are self-published by people from Sag Harbor. We want to have local music, maybe local videos. Um, we want to have resources that people in this community value and will find valuable going forward in the years ahead. So we think this is one way to approach that. That's the big project I'm working on right now. That's really cool. That is amazing. It could be a blueprint for other libraries in the future. Yeah. By the way, there are libraries that do stream music. Seattle Public Library is one. In fact, we are stealing their legal agreement, but we still have to have it looked at by our lawyer. But um, you know, you can, and there's there are a few others, but um, it's not widely done. It's a big endeavor for uh, for a small library on the East End. Uh, huh? Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote a memo to to uh, our director saying. 
this is not a one-person project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need some help. Yeah. So, yeah, we have a small staff. So everybody does multiple roles. And, uh, you know, that's why this is sort of borderline technology. But, you know, you, you, we were joking about the media part of my title. This kind of yeah. pushes me <laughs> into media the part. media yeah. a little yeah. bit. Wow. Yeah. And um, so I'm hoping to get some other staff members involved to, to help me get this going. That's awesome. That really is great stuff. So we want to thank you for having us into this beautiful building. And we're going to walk around after the podcast and take a few pictures. We're going to put them on the, the website so people can see cool. how beautiful it is. Um, there are no words to describe how beautiful the building is, even and the new extension as well. But the, the old building is just so classic. Right. So thank you for letting us you know, take a look at it today and for having the meeting here before the, the podcast. It has been my pleasure. So when we get back, we're going to be asking Eric our top 10 library questions, what we call the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. And if these questions are uh, questions we ask all of our guests, and we also have to say thank you to Melanie Cardone from the Longer Public Library for giving us a name for the list. And we'll be back in just a moment. back with Eric Cohen, the coordinator of technology and media at the at John Germain Memorial Very Library. Important. Very important. So he's our next participant for the 032 list. The questions uh, from this list are inspired by the website Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site uh, that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com and check them out. They do a great job educating and informing the library world on great topics affecting our profession. Thank you, Literary Hub. So, first question. What did you want to be when you were a child? Hmm. What did I want to be when I was a child? Uh, an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a hurry to grow up, but I didn't have any real goals at that time. I was thinking he was going to say technology coordinator and media. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, he was, was going to say media guy. Media guy. Yeah. Uh, media guy for a I library, definitely, yeah. definitely wanted to be a media yeah. guy. Yeah. I don't know. I, had, I was really into um, military toys when I was a kid. So I guess you could say I probably wanted to be a soldier. But that's as close as I can come to having a goal. So what was your first memory of, of, the li of a library, I guess, and who brought you to the library for the first time? Oh, my first memory of well, my mother brought me to the library for the first time. And my first memory was, I grew up in Levittown here on Long Island. And there, were, there was a library, before the current Levittown Public Library, there was a very small library in a place called the South Village Green. So Levittown had these little tiny shopping strips. And each one was called the, the East Village Green, the North Village Green, and the South Village Green had the library. And it was, it was very small. And um, I remember going in the children's room, there would be, there was light streaming in from one of the windows, highlighting a section. And I went over there and pulled out a book. And it became one of my favorite books of all time. It was a series of books by, about a character named Henry. I don't remember, but a kid named Henry. I don't remember the title or the author, but I just remember loving that book. Wow. That's a great answer. I don't think we ever got an answer. <laughs> the, I'm speechless because we don't usually get that kind of in-depth answer for that question. That's yeah. Really, that's really cool. Okay, so we kind of covered this earlier, but when did you decide to work in a library? 
And um, if it wasn't your first career path, obviously it wasn't because we talked about it yeah. before. Uh, what was your first career path? You're going to laugh. This is my first, I'm in college, I majored in theater arts, and I wanted to be an actor. I'm not surprised. No, I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, obviously, at a certain point in college, I was looking around at all the other people in the theater program and realizing that just about every one of them was more talented than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and probably 1% of these people will succeed in the theater. Right. So... Right after college, I moved on. <laughs> Time to get into media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and, of course, I, I told you already that in 2003, I got laid off from a job as a consultant for colleges and uh, school districts and in the technology area and uh, took a job in the library just to hold me over for a few months. And here I am. 13 years later. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are thankful for it. That's what yes, definitely. So who is your favorite fictional librarian? Uh -huh. I, thought, I looked at this question and I said, I don't know. He uh, literally looked at the list like 30 <laughs> seconds before we came out of the right. break. He goes, I don't know I about that at, one. I have no favorite fictional librarian because I can't think of one. I mean, was there a librarian in Hogwarts? Yes, there was. Then yeah. that's it. That's my favorite. That's the one, the Hogwarts librarian. <laughs> I don't know what the name of it is. I don't either. My kids read the book. Somebody will tell us. I'm the worst librarian ever because I never read They'll them. They'll email us. They'll tell us. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll hear it. I read, I read the books, but I don't remember the librarian's name. But that has to be the answer. Somebody listening to this is screaming it to their car. Oh, they're screaming, <laughs> and they're never listening to another episode again. Ellen, five bucks. She's Ellen. screaming it right now yeah, on the radio. Ellen Judah is very mad yeah. at us. Okay, you're up, right? I am? No, I just, I just asked that. Did you? Yeah. Okay, so now I'm up, right? Yeah. Okay, what would you be doing if you were not working in a library? I would like to be a traffic engineer. That's cool. Traffic engineer. Yeah, I have, yeah. I have actually have a kind of second career or a hobby, some people might say, in looking at the traffic situation here on the east end of Long Island. I've been on a whole bunch of government committees and whatnot and have made it a kind of second profession, and I almost wish I had been doing that all my life. Hmm. It's fascinating. Pretty wow. Well, there's plenty of traffic on the East End, so yeah. you'll have your business cut out for you, for sure. Yeah. Nobody listens to me. I have, lots of <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of ideas. Nobody pays any attention. So what is your favorite section of the library? <sighs> favorite section? I, well, it's unique. It has to do with this library. My favorite section is the children's section. Hmm. But I don't know that that would be true of every library, but I love the children's area in this library. It's just so warm and inviting. I like to be in it. That's cool. If you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to the library? Since you just already had a huge addition and a door on the director's a office. Door yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to resist the urge to say a parking lot, and I will say a theater. That's an idea. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done theater work out here? We have music out here. Music. We've had quite a bit of music out here. And it turned out, without any planning, to be a wonderful spot for music. So people sit on the steps, sit on the, on the little edge, uh, little railing over there and whatnot. So it's great. Take a picture of our view, Chris. I'm taking a picture of our view to put yeah. on the site. After the landscaping truck goes by. Yeah. Take a picture of view. <laughs> So what do you love, absolutely love, big capital letters underlined about your library? Um, what do I love? I love that library is, really love, and this I mentioned it a little bit before, that the library is devoted to public service. I think it's one of the last institutions in our world that is just here to serve people. It has no ulterior motives. It's not trying to make a profit. Um, nobody's in it for the money or for self-glorification. No agenda. Yeah. No, we're just here to serve, and that is an amazing thing. Okay, this is one of my favorite questions. What's the weirdest thing, not necessarily the worst thing, but the weirdest thing that you have ever seen happen in, a li in your library, mm. other than your servers being underwater? <laughs> <laughs> um, the weirdest thing. We had, uh, oh, good, Oh, and this gives me a chance to mention someone who I, I may, if I start crying, you'll have to forgive me, but our uh, longtime children's librarian, Suzanne Farrell, died last year, this year, uh, and she's only 47, 
and she died of cancer. And she, is, she was just so beloved by the staff and the community. Uh, and she had a lot of quirks. And that was one of the things that made her so beloved. Uh, and one of her quirks was uh, she believed in ghosts. And so one of the weirdest things that's happened here in this library is we've had ghost hunters in here twice. Oh, really? Yes. That's yes, cool. we have. In the evenings, they've come in and, and put whatever ma machines they use to detect the presence of the psychonormal presences and didn't find anything, but it was fun. It's kind of neat to have them here. That's pretty cool. That is neat. Yeah. Has there been any instances? Oh, yeah. Oh, all kinds of weird things happen. I mean, I, I've heard tell. I, not to me. They haven't happened to me. But uh, uh, if we had time to bring in the staff members, I think many of them would have stories about things that they attribute to the library ghost. But unfortunately, I'm not. We could do a special paranormal edition. <laughs> library Pros <laughs> podcast. Wow. Right. So, yeah, there's always, we're always talking about the library ghost here. But uh, unfortunately... It hasn't really registered with me, so I don't know. I don't have any stories to share. So wow. he brings it up now. <laughs> yeah, he brings it up now. <laughs> we could have had a bunch of ghost people in here. Yeah, yeah. that would be fun. Wow. So who's your favorite regular patron? Do you have somebody that comes in all the time that kind of just touches you or you know talks? Need help with my computer? <laughs> oh, one of those people. Yeah. yeah. Favorite regular patron. Uh, I mean, I, you don't want me to mention his name, right? No, it's no, just no. kind of like what, uh, what brings him in and what, what kind of connection do you have with him? Uh, there's a, a, an old friend of our, mine. I've lived in Sag Harbor for, since 1979, and we've, I've known him almost that long. Um, and he's had his ups and downs in life. Um, he's a vet, Vietnam vet, and that has left him with PTSD. And he's been in and out of treatment programs. But when he was younger and holding it together better, he, um, his family and my family were very close. Now his family is split up, and most of them have left Sag Harbor. But he's a Sag Harbor native and still lives here. And he comes in every day and uses the computers, and we chat. And I'd say he has to be my favorite patron. Good answer. Okay, so our last question. What are people without library cards missing out on? Oh, my God. Everything. <laughs> um, library cards are, are your key to um, other worlds. And if you don't have one, then you don't even know what you're missing because there are so many doors that library cards open. Um, that's about as all I really could say about that. But I think um, everyone should have one. I have a New York Public Library card just because I feel like library cards are so important. One wasn't enough. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for this. Is probably I know we usually say it, but this could be my favorite. Yeah. No, it this, turns out neat. Yeah. Like this is this has been great. Um, I, I don't know that I have. Anything else to say other than it, this was, was a lot of fun, and we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thank you so much. This beautiful is, place, beautiful day. I yeah, enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, it was, it was really great. Cool. Um, and thanks for uh, hosting today for our meeting as well. That was fun. So that's all the time that we have for this edition of the uh, podcast. So if you have any questions or comments about the show, go uh, to the Contact Us section of our website at thelibrarypros.com. We will also have uh, notes and links from all of our episodes, and you can check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And don't forget about our, uh, subscribing to our RSS feed, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever slash. they're calling themselves. Slash. Slash. Uh, Android email and Google Play. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and not those of the Satron Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. So tune in again and see us next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Cristofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.